It's such an honour, Danny, um, to be a part of this amazing podcast you're doing here. And it's just really cool to be talking about this book. You know my work and you've given it a lot of thought and um, I don't normally get such good questions, to be honest. <laughs> Your podcast is the one that I listen to when I want to listen to an interviewer who has actually read the books she's asking questions about <laughs> and asks really interesting, insightful questions about it. And I think that's really special. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It was a good chat. Great chat. You're a good interviewer. So enjoy listening to the podcast. That's brilliant what you do. Honestly, I'm so in awe and we need more word nerds like yourself, people that are passionate about books. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. Today I speak to Maya Lemil. Maya was recently shortlisted as the AARA 2019 Favourite Debut Author and Favourite Australian Romance Author for her rural romance debut, Wildflower Ridge. Bottlebrush Creek is her second novel and both stories gather inspiration from her rural upbringing and the small communities she's always lived in and loved. Today, not only do we take a deep dive into the book, but we also have a feedback session where Maya shares three of her drafts from zero to the one that Alan and Anwan returned. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, Maya. Thank you very much, Danny. It's fantastic to be here. I've spent a lot of time listening to your podcast, so it's quite neat actually having you live to myself. <laughs> I love that. I love how you said that. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Today, yeah. today we're going to do something a little bit different because I know that, um, well, you know that we've had these feedback sessions, which I, I started with Ben Hobson, and um, you have been so kind as to give me a few of your drafts, too kind, brave, I don't know which one you want to use. Um, so we're going to talk about your book, uh, Bottle Brush Creek, but then we're going to slip into a bit of feedback sessions. You ready? I am, and I was quite nervous, I think, the first time um, when I was listening to that interview with Ben and you said, if anyone else wants to, um, you know, put theirs forward, I thought, who on earth would put themselves through that? But then I thought about it for a little bit longer and thought, you know what, it's actually, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's it's okay to be vulnerable. <laughs> oh, it is, it is. It's my thing at the moment. And I think um, when I was on Sandy's Facebook page, you were, you were there, and um, I think that's when I sort of might have helped twist your arm a bit I was like come on that'll be fun so I don't know what you're thinking now but it'll be fun I promise (laughs) (laughs) honestly we've had such good um feedback because I think you know when Ben and I were first doing it we were worried about ruining the magic of books you know because books are magic you know they're just these perfect things that tell these stories and you know you cry over them or you miss the characters when you close the book so they are magical and we didn't want to ruin that but I actually think it it just makes the the writing process even more intriguing I think so too. I think there is. There's a lot of mystique behind it. And just opening that door for a little bit of a snippet every now and then, I think it's great. Mm, me too. Me too. Now, before we get started, because we are going to talk about your book as well, and can you just give us a bit of an elevator pitch about Bottle Brush Creek before we get going? Yes. So Bottle Brush Creek is a rural romance. It came out with Alan Unwin in June, and it features Angie McIntyre, her three-year-old daughter, Claudia, and her partner, Rob Jones, as they go on the hunt to renovate the perfect little fixer-upper. They find this lovely little cottage in southwest Victoria, which is actually quite close to where I live, a fictional town I've created called Port Fairview, and everything looks to be above board, fantastic opportunity to bring their little family together, except the only catch is it's right next door to Rob's family's dairy farm. 
So we've got um, the fixer-upper problem, we've got troublesome tradies, we've got cute calves, and we've got some feral animals that just run havoc. So uh, it's certainly an escape to the country with a few different twists and turns. We've got baking, we've got gardening, and, of course, that lovely little romance thread. And uh, living next door to your in-laws, of course, which is not everybody's cup of tea. No, indeed. I don't know if I could hack it. How about you, Danny? <laughs> I will just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Bottle Brush Creek is a, is a rural romance and I've seen more and more of these type of books coming out. What do you think it is that appeals to readers about this genre? I mean, I think they're great. I think it's really Aussie and it gives another perspective because so many books are set, you know, in cities, etc. And I love it. But what do you think resonates or what resonated with you and what resonates with your readers? Yeah, I think, Danny, there's um, there's a lot of romanticism about that country way of life. And I've always been a huge country girl. I'm really proud to have come from a country area and spent most of my life in the country. Um, so I love advocating for country living because there is there's something so beautiful and wholesome about, you know, having all this beautiful land around you, working with animals day in, day out, um, and, you know, working with the changing seasons and all always being aware of what's going on outside uh, type of nostalgia for, you know, obviously a lot of Australia was um, more countrified before everyone moved to the cities. So I, I think there's, you know, a lot of people that are sitting, especially those in lockdown um, in cities at the moment, are kind of looking at it and going, geez, that would be really, really nice way to live. So, yeah, I think that's the, that's one of the big appeals there. Absolutely. And I just love your Instagram page. I mean, if everyone's ever been on your Instagram page, it's just, it's just taking a little, little look at it here. You've, you know, you're giving little lambs milk. So cute. You've got, you know, a lot of flowers and chickens and it's just such a beautiful, whenever I even look at your posts, I just feel more relaxed looking at them. And you're right. It does have that, you know, sort of magical quality to it. The, um, you know, live that kind of rural, rural setting. Yeah, thank you, Danny. I love sharing little snippets from our place here. Like we don't have a big farm. We've only got a small property, but, um, you know, we make the most of it. We've got you know, 20 chickens, so we're collecting over a dozen eggs a day um, and the kids are flogging them off to the neighbours, so they think it's fantastic. <laughs> and then we've got, you know, um, livestock, and that's changed what we've had over the years. We've had pigs, we've had calves, um, hence the idea of having you know, beautiful little calves in Bottle Brush Creek because, you know, I thought that's just something really nice, that whole getting up early in the morning, mixing up the milk, taking it down the paddock and, and feeding the cows as the sun rises. Like that's that's a pretty nice thing to be able to share. So I do, I like to share it in my writing. I like to share it with photos um, on my social media. And, you know, I get a lot of joy out of the different feedback that um, people like yourself, you know, share about it. It gives them that beautiful smile at the start of their day to see something that's just a little bit out of the norm. Because mm, in these types of books, in this genre, the setting is almost another character or certainly as important as the characters, I think. Yeah, and, I, and it's not a stretch to do it either. Like I know, um, you know, when I was in high school, the teachers would say, man, you've got too much flowery description. We don't need to know all that detail. This is a science experiment. <laughs> we want the method. We want this and the, that. But, you know, whereas I, I can't help but spend a bit of time thinking, okay, what can they hear? Oh, yep, I'll just look out my window. What can I see? Oh, there's some wallabies just jumping across the, the bottom of the paddock and, you know, the flock of galahs goes past. And, yeah, it, it's really easy for me to kind of conjure up those settings because, you know, it's all around me. It's the the bike rides that we're going on with the kids and, you know, even just walking down the paddock is 
you know, the frogs in the paddock and stuff like that. So I can't help but just kind of flush that through my work. It's um, it's as natural as, you know, it's probably easier than dialogue for me, just talking about the different um, sounds and smells of the country. Mm, no, it's nice. And it's not something that everyone gets to explore all the time. So I do think it's, a, like you said, a little bit magical, a little bit um, mysterious and something that we probably need because a lot of us have either been in lockdown if you're in Victoria or just not going out as much if you're not. And so I think, um, you know, those kind of experiences through books have never been so important. I agree a hundred percent. And, um, you know, we've never been more grateful to have these acres around us because, you know, with the kids doing the homeschooling still, it feels like it's been a pretty long year. Um, and at least, you know, we can escape in the middle of the day and go climb some trees or feed the lambs, that type of thing. It's, it's a really nice spot to be in lockdown. Mm, I can imagine. Now the book, before we get to the feedback session, the book also explores the difficulty of relationships. And I think the expectations we put on one another, and I thought that was, it was just a nice thread because isn't that, you know, what we do all the time? Yeah, I think it is, Danny. I think it's real life. It's, um, you know, you say something, you expect it to be interpreted one way. It can go off on a completely different tangent. And, and sometimes it's the things that you don't say and the different um, the different conflicts that will arise when you're trying to stay out of trouble and you're trying to avoid um, that confrontation that can just lead to a whole snowball. And by the time, you know, you realise it needs sorting out, it's almost too late. So I do, I like to kind of try and go with real relationships, whether it's the relationship between the two partners in the story and looking at whether their relationship can actually survive something like a big renovation as well as living next door to the in-laws. But, um, you know, also those family relationships, the the father and the son and the daughter and the mother-in-law, I really, really enjoy kind of sinking my teeth into those. Because mm, the dynamics of those relationships too are very different, aren't they? Oh, aren't they just? <laughs> <laughs> Lots to explore. So it's a great book. and um, But I, I really want to get into your feedback session. So I hope you're feeling brave and up for it. Now, for listeners who maybe haven't listened to the feedback sessions yet, it was something that author uh, Ben Hobson and I cooked up one late night on Twitter. I said he was writing a million words a day, not quite that many, but it felt like it. He was smashing through his draft. And I just messaged him and said, hey, would it be a great idea if you shared this draft? And I half expected him to go, don't be ridiculous. But he was like, yeah, that's a cool idea. So now I'm getting brave, kind, generous authors like yourself to do a bit of that sharing of their drafts, which I just enjoy so much. And the feedback we've had from listeners, they've been enjoying it as well. So you've given us three drafts. Yes, I have. And I wish I could have found the very first zero draft. And I was so annoyed with myself because the manuscript changed names quite a few times as I was writing it. You know, I'd get excited about one title and then I'd stick with that one for a draft and go, nope, that's not going to work. And in that whole process, I somehow lost completely the zero draft. So I've got bits of it, which, you know, are in the second draft, but for the life of me, I can't find how on earth I ended it in that first draft. So, you know, that's kind of um, a bit disappointing, but it tells you that you shouldn't rename your darn manuscript until you finish, <laughs> like write it and call it book three and stick with it until you finish and you've got an idea of what the story's about. I love that. So what you've called the zero draft here is kind of has elements of the zero draft, but it's more of a second draft. Would that be right? Yeah, it is. It is. There's um, 
I think we shaved about, I don't know, 10 or 20,000 words off the front of the the first draft that I submitted to the publisher. Um, yeah, it got, got 10, 20,000 words cut off the front. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if the, the zero draft that I've sent you has got all of those words, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> well, just so listeners don't get too worried, we're just going to look at the first page of each draft. We're not going to read three drafts in their entirety as much as I would enjoy that. I don't know that people's commutes are that long these days. So <laughs> we'll have a look at that. And then you've got a third draft as well. Is that sort of a, a – how many drafts do you do? Is that in the middle or is that still in the really early stages? Yeah. So I think with my third draft, um, that was more around November-ish. Oh, sorry, actually. No, I wrote the date on them. So June, I think the third draft, um, I submitted the second draft to my publisher, Annette, at Alan Owen, and then I kind of did a bit of tizzying up. So she had it from, I think I sent that to her in June, but then when I met up with her for the Romance Writers Conference in August, I'd said, oh, I've been doing a bit more tinkering. And she said, okay, well, send me that draft. So then I sent her that one, which was, um, yeah, I think I think that was the third draft that I sent her then. So, yeah, I do a few drafts. And then, of course, you've got, you know, I've got a whole other draft in November, which kind of incorporates that, um, all the structural edit feedback that um, Annette gives me about, okay, this is working, this isn't working, what are we getting at here, do we really need this subplot, Um, you know, I'm a bit confused, why would he do that if he's already, you know, earlier in the story doing this? So the the feedback that publishers and editors give you on your manuscript is just wonderful. It's it's like they know where you're trying to go, but when you've got lost along the way, they can pick it up really quickly. Mm. Um, And... The drafts that I sent that you've got with you are a lot rawer than the draft that I sent of my first manuscript to Alan Unwin. Like, you know, when you're submitting to a publisher for the first time, you try and get that draft, schmicko, like it had gone to a few beta readers before, you know, I even put it out in the world. What I gave to Alan Unwin for the first manuscript was a lot more published, a lot more polished than the draft they got for the second manuscript because, you know, they know that you've got some concept of writing because they've offered you a contract for the first book um, and then they're much more likely to work with you, you know, and accept the fact that the, se- the second book that they get is, um, you know, a lot rougher. So I kind of – it's a little bit nervous going into with that second book because, you know, there's no use me spending years reworking that second manuscript because – you know, they've got such a great eye for it that, you know, I was already contracted for a second book. I signed a two-book deal with my first novel. Um, so, you know, they kind of agreed to take it. So they were going to have to help me try and make it good. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love how, you know, the first novel you think it needs to be perfect before it goes and then, you know, the second is a little bit different. But I like that. So have you got the zero draft in front of you? Yes, I've got – well, I've got the second draft, yeah, um, yeah. which is the best one. Yeah. Yep. So I was thinking, did you want to read like a couple of paragraphs and then we'll have a look at that and see how it changed to the last draft and see and see um, the differences and what you had to change and why? Yep, definitely. So at this stage, the manuscript was called Plum Tree Hollow, which, um, which was the second name for the book. It was first in the very, very, very first draft, the zero draft. It was called A Cottage on Enderby Lane. 
Um, but this, this draft here that I've got in front of me, it's called Plumtree Hollow. The salon doorbell jangled, the old-fashioned bell cutting over the background acoustic music. Angie glanced down at her watch again. The afternoon flurry was usually finished by now. She bustled out of the treatment room, her sandals clipping along the corridor. The tiles were so shiny she could see a reflection, just how she liked it. Stepping into the salon foyer, she almost ran smack bang into the publican from next door. His bushy moustache bristled as he greeted her. A familiar gleam glinted in his roomy eyes. Angie grinned and braced herself for whatever quirky marketing plan he had dreamed up this time. You look like a man with a plan, Rodney. Angie, my lovely lass, I've got a business proposition. How about you and me have a Father's Day marketing campaign where the wives buy their fellas a beauty treatment and a meal? We could call it the Eden Creek Bar and Beauty Combo, eh? His ideas, of which there were many, were always overlaid with the veneer of enthusiasm, as if he'd been waiting all day to pitch his latest concept. A grin twitched at her lips and she struggled to control her amusement in the face of his earnest suggestion. Well, Rodney, it's better than your Mother's Day wax and polish surf and turf suggestion and the Valentine's Day double trouble combo. But the salon's sold, remember? I'll mention it to Jodie, but I can't promise she'll be quite as keen to the, uh, for the joint promotional campaigns. She's got fresh plans for this place. So that's where it kicked off. And I guess for that bit of the story, um, or for that draft, I was really keen to show that Angie's got this beauty salon. You know, she's been working hard. She's a real um, figure in the community. She does a lot of volunteer work. She's um, a really good sport. She's got these connections throughout the community um, and loves her beauty salon and is very protective of it. Um, but she's, you know, the line, the couple of paragraphs after that is she's talking about, oh, you're really leaving. Um, so, so that that all got kind of tossed (laughs) really really we don't need to know you know these um funny little business promotions that she's cooking up but you know that that stayed with me for quite a while and it was hard to part with that intro it's not particularly riveting um but I really enjoyed little characters and poor Rodney the publican he didn't even get a mention at all with the whole book like right at the start that's Um, very funny he was quite crucial as well in that um, first draft. Like he was a bit of a confidant as well and, and he went into the salon a few times and I had some big incident where there's a stalker and he's scaring the stalker away and, you know, that got thrown out as well. But um, it's funny, the things that you just need to tell yourself, I just need to write something and eventually this story will start itself. <laughs> I love that. Now, before we get to the Alan and Unwin one, can you read the other one? Because I want to look at how different that is to the one with poor old Rodney who never saw the light of day. <laughs> yes. So I'm just opening up the third draft here. And the third draft is quite similar to... Not too, not too different to the actual final copy. So with this manuscript, with the third draft, I'd renamed I'd gone back to a cottage on Enderby Lane because I thought, no, Plumtree Hollow, that's, that's too American. I don't know where I was going with that. I think I'd been reading um, Little House on the Prairie to my daughter. <laughs> and I think there's a Plumtree Creek or something like that um, on the banks of Plumtree Creek, I think is book two in that series. So I think subconsciously I just went, oh, wonderful name. Got to have that. But on retrospect, no, it doesn't suit at all. <laughs> um, so chapter one of A Cottage on Enderby Lane, third draft, and this is um, June 26, 2019. 
Angie McIntyre stared at the car windscreen at the scrubby blocks in the bluegum plantations of Victoria's southwest, unable to stop herself from rolling the wrinkled newspaper clipping between her fingers. Are we sure we want to do this, Rob? She smoothed out the thin black and white paper and looked again at the photograph, noticing her fingertips were stained with printing ink. The picture of the cottage looked even more dilapidated after 97 kilometres of folding and refolding. Rob Jones took a large hand of the steering wheel to squeeze her knee and gave her a wink. Want me to tell you how many times you've already asked that question? Angie smiled back at him and reread the upbeat real estate spiel at the bottom of the page. Well, they must be hoping to lure a blind renovator, Rob. Who's got a fool for a main heading that reads Renovator's Delight? Well, the newspapers always had an optimistic streak, just like ours, Angie, though I think the journalists should have titled the ad Ripe with Potential instead of burying it deep within the bottom of the ad right next to the ideal fixer-upper and perfect for the handyman. Let's face it, that'll be my title if the mine site retrenchments go ahead. Angie slipped her hand over his, noticing how her fingers looked downright dainty in comparison to his bear-like mitts. We'll make it work, you know, with the money from the salon sale and mum's little nest egg. It was never going to be enough to build a brand new house, but it will make a hefty deposit, especially if you get a payout. So that's the start of that third draft. So I'm kind of cutting more to the action of them on the way to looking at this fixer-upper. Um, but then it's funny because... Um, Oh, it's, yeah, no, it doesn't look like it's in this draft here. I'm just flicking a few more pages through. But um, I had a bit of indecision about who was the person driving this whole project. And in one draft I had it that Angie had bought, um, I think maybe it must have been the zero draft, that Angie had bought the cottage as a surprise and she'd gone to the airport to pick up Rob, who was always a fly-in, fly-out worker right from day dot. Um, I've got her going to the airport to pick her up and saying, guess what, I've just bought her the house. And I thought, oh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just going to say, and then I've got the mother-in-law um, meddling right from the start as well. I've, I always knew that she was going to be quite instrumental in, um, in the whole purchasing of the property, but I wasn't quite sure how she would do it, whether she would get Rob on his own and try and convince him that they needed to buy it. And then in a different draft I had um, her contacting Angie and saying I know that Rob would never um, even consider this can you for the sake of our family please think of this so I had a few different ways um, or and in the end neither of those options went through to the final draft but you know I played around with that for a bit exactly how meddling I wanted that mother-in-law to be and how she went about it so there's so much fun to be had. There is. And I really like the ideas that, that come about and then you throw that one out and you, you're searching for that idea and every new idea you get a bit closer to it. But what I really found the difference between those two drafts was the second one was so much more character driven and it sets up the potential conflict and there's a, a stronger voice as lovely as Rodney is, I'm sure. <laughs> um, for me, and just this is a personal choice as a reader, it really got me into the the characters and the, the upcoming conflict and who these people were. But I'm just a massive sucker for, for good characters. I think most readers are. And I think, you know, that's, that's the main differences for me between those two scenes. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think so too. I think it's important that we see both of them together um, on the page, kind of in it together, um, and then, and, and it did, it changed a bit more, but it's definitely, it's getting closer to that final, okay, this is what I want my story to be. Who cares about Rodney the Publican? <laughs> <laughs> the 
without Angie and Rob. Do you think with the first or the zero zero draft with with Rodney etc. Do you think that was writing so you knew for yourself what the characters were like, what she was like, what Osalem was like, what the people in the community were like? Was that kind of a draft? Even though you may not have known it at the time, but for you to sort of know where you were. Yeah, absolutely, Danny. I feel like for sure that that is the best way that I kind of, you know, write myself into the story and it's not wasted. Like it is a lot of words to think, oh gosh, it, that's a lot to throw away. But but really, if I didn't know those things about the characters, then, you know, how am I going to flesh out my story and, and why they're doing what they're doing? So definitely it's, um yeah, it's me telling myself the story and getting my head around what I'm trying to say and why. Mm. So it definitely... I think it's important and you know at the moment I'm in my first draft of book four and it still sits on my shoulder like today I only manage 600 words 600 hard-fought words <laughs> <laughs> read online fully and I've still got that little voice um in my head that tells me you're probably not going to use any of this like you know I'm at 23,000 words with that draft and it doesn't help that I know that probably it's just complete ramble and the story doesn't start into another you know the, the the last 2,000 words that I wrote <laughs> might be good. Yeah. It's interesting. But I like how you say that nothing's wasted because you often have to go through that process to get to the finished product. You know, you're getting to know the characters, getting to know how you want to write the book, getting to know, you know, all the different things and elements of the book. So even though it may not end up in the, the final published version, you're absolutely right when you say it's not wasted, it's just part of the process. Yeah, yes, absolutely. All right, well, hit us with the last draft and let's see how different that is. Well, it's funny because um, after all my talking about saying, yes, we needed the characters and who cares about um, good old Rodney the publican, well, as I now open. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so the next draft that we have is um, from November 11, 2019. And we start out in a completely different space. So we've got Angie at home. So we've got Angie McIntyre dusted her hands on her apron, opened the oven and groaned. Instead of a gush of hot air that normally sent her curls into ringlets, there was silence in the cold and dark cavity. Not again. She twisted the temperamental temperature dial left and right, but no matter how hard she willed it to work, the oven didn't so much as hum. Angie slammed the door shut and surveyed the mess in front of her. Clearing the bench full of ingredients was an easy fix, but the cake would be ruined if she didn't slip it into a hot oven soon. Her mobile ringtone cut through the quiet kitchen. A pile of magazines slipped to the ground, glossy pages of grand kitchens and elaborate bathrooms standing out across the floor, mocking her cramped space. Angie searched for her phone. A cold draft followed her down the corridor as she, uh, down the corridor of the 60s brick veneer. No amount of gap filler could fix the endless air leaks Um, and pigs were likely to fly before the landlord made good on his promises to bring the rental into the 21st century. Two little feet poked out from underneath the king-size mattress. Angie listened to snatches of the conversation, her frown wavering. Claudia Isabel Jones, do you have mummy's phone? Claudia's pink socks retreated, quickly replaced by a flash of blonde curls, a unicorn T-shirt, and the cheekiest grin this side of the South Australian border. Angie raised her eyebrows. The little phone thief handed over her loot, adding a handful of fluff-covered sultanas into Angie's outstretched palm for good measure. Claudia ran down the hallway in a blur of sequins and unicorns to escape a scolding. Rob? 
Hey, Ange, wondered how long until you'd realised she'd pinched your phone. She gets that from you, you cheeky thing. Fat chance of cheekiness being allowed in the Jones family. Must be the McIntyre in her, he laughed. Fancy a drive this Arvo? A drive? You'll have been in the air since 4am. What happened to our quiet night in? Angie grimaced, knowing her chances of pulling off an impromptu birthday party were getting slimmer by the minute. Rob laughed again. I thought you'd like a surprise, so get the ready home. His voice faded in and out before the reception failed. Rob, hello? Angie stared at the beeping phone. I'm the one planning the surprise around here. So that was the final version that I can find the first few pages <laughs> of. Um, that's pretty close to the actual opening of the book. Um, so, yeah, it's funny the way that you kind of start with one, chop 20,000 words off, and then you have to go back and add, a, you know, another extra heap of words because you've kind of maybe chopped it a bit hard. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I love that. I love the messy process, you know, the, and I think that's important for, you know, aspiring writers to see or even, you know, bookworms to see that to have this perfect book in your hand, there's so much behind it. You know, there's the editing, there's the cutting, there's the ideas, there's the words we don't use. And then when I'm looking at this Alan and Unwin draft here, it's got a whole lot of track changes where they've gone through and done, you know, a very thorough line edit. And I think, yeah, I think who was I speaking to about, I was speaking to Christian White and he said, I wish I'd known that my draft that I sent to a publisher didn't have to be absolutely perfect because it wouldn't have taken me 10 years to submit a novel, you know? And so this is, you know, a bit of a secret into the industry, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you definitely have to go out with your best work, um, you know, for that first manuscript. Mm. But and if you've got strong writing and you've got sound ideas and, you know, you've got to have a fair bit of hard work behind you to be able to, um, you know, have something to offer a publisher. But, um, yeah, it doesn't have to be perfect, especially um, – but then, you know, I also feel like if I sent just a really rough draft then I'd, the very first time that I pitched, then it would have just gone into the pile of, you know, here's a list of authors that – or wannabe authors that just couldn't even bother to spell check it or get to read it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you don't have to necessarily have your book 100% sorted, but you do. You definitely do need to have those as many of those typos out of your 90,000 words as you can, um, and it needs to make at least sense. It might, you know, yeah. definitely. And I am definitely, definitely think I agree with you because I think it, it shows a respect for the process and a respect for the publishers and your own writing and et cetera. But um, I think what Christian was trying to say is what you write to submit isn't going to be the final product. And I think a lot of us think that we have to be so very close to that final product before we send it in. Um, but as you show through your process of the three drafts that you've shown, they're very, very different to what ends up being in the book. So I love that. I love that it can change and it's such a fluid process. It's a stressful process. It's a messy process, but you know, it's all those processes in between are really important to get where you need to be. Yep, I 100% agree. So that was, was that, was that really that terrifying for you, Maya, or did you just sort of forget it in the end, forget that where I was recording? <laughs> Look, it's not so bad. It's quite interesting because, um, you know, I looked back, I had a brief look when I was trying to work out, um, you know, what the most complete earliest draft I had to send you. It is, it's funny to look at those different things and think, yeah, no, I forgot that I'd included that. And it is funny 
I had um, my book was the book of the month for um, Rachel Johns's book club, and it's really interesting. It's hard to sit down and watch two people discuss your book, um, you know, after the fact. So I, obviously, I didn't tune in when it was happening, but I, I watched it afterwards, and it's it's really interesting when they go, well, what about this bit? I I was thinking such and such with that the brother was going to happen here, and. I think, oh, well, maybe I kind of started setting that up because I thought too at one stage maybe that that's how that could go, that could be that conflict. or So it is, it's funny the way that people pick up on different things that maybe you'd started working towards and then changed, but, um, you know, that didn't affect the storyline overall. So you kind of went, okay, well, that's fine to stay in there, but, you know, just lead them astray every now and then and make them think that it could go in a different direction. Mm, interesting. And feedback is very important, obviously, because people are working towards the same goal of getting the best book they possibly can. But it's also confronting, isn't it? So you do find that you have to have that balance between the thick skin and the vulnerability and the putting all of that out of your mind to work together to get the best product or the best book you can. Yeah, I think for sure that um, it is so invaluable to have the feedback from the editors and the publisher because, you know, they're only working to try. They're not trying to embarrass you or pull you up or say, hold on, did you even check what type of whales would be in the bay at that time of the year? Like, of course I did. Oh, actually, no, I got the wrong whale. Bloody hell, lucky you spotted that because I would have made it full of myself. (laughs) They really pick up just the best things. I it um, and I'm really looking forward to um, getting my structural edit feedback on book three, which comes out next winter. Um, it's really exciting. It's nervous to find what flaws your publisher will find, um, and it's affirming to see which things, which little scenes that they like as well. Because often you'll find that scenes that resonate with readers, even the really early readers, will be ones that you know, as you've written it, you had a little grin to yourself, or um, you know, some some scenes in Bottle Brush Creek moves me to tears as I'm writing them. And you know that that is a winner of a scene when you're sitting there going, oh, that's a really, I feel really, really sad for him right now. And, you know, it's completely out of your own imagination <laughs> in this prison. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a few scenes that are my favourites in the book and it just it makes me smile big time when someone says, oh, I just loved that Christmas Day scene. I go, oh, I loved writing that too. That was, you know, probably one of my highlights of the book. <laughs> mm, that's great because it is because when you think about important things that you want to write about or relationships or whatever and they're resonating with you, the, the chances are they are going to resonate with other people. Yeah, I agree. I think so. And I think that's a really cool thing um, when you're writing fiction. You can include things that just take your fancy and chances are it might tickle someone else's fancy too. So, (laughs) Now, Maya, I really thank you for sharing those drafts. But before we go, why do you write? Well, Danny, I think that there are so many different stories out there that need to be told um, and particularly rural stories because you know, sometimes the country areas are the forgotten ones, um, you know, in terms of funding, um, in terms of the glamour and things like that. So I think it's really important just to keep telling Australian stories, especially country women's stories. Absolutely. I love that answer. And I love that you've shared your draft with us. You've been vulnerable, which, you know, I'll just keep talking about all the time because it's something I'm trying to work on with myself. But I just love, um, you know, how people are so willing to just come on and share their drafts and share their process because, you know, I think it's a good thing and a bad thing that there's just no one way to get there, is there? 
No, absolutely. And I'm fascinated every time I get to see an insight behind someone else's process. So hopefully this helps someone and realizes that, um, you know, it is, it's definitely messy and it's, it's got to be done to get to that story. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time and talking about um, your book, which is such a lovely, enjoyable book. And I've really enjoyed these rural romances, which I say, you know, I must say I haven't really picked up before only recently. And I really like the sort of sweeping Aussie-ness about them. Like I really enjoy that. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for sharing so much with me tonight. You know, usually in this amount of time, we just talk about the book, but we've managed to sort of juggle the book and your drafts and why you write. And so we've managed to squeeze a lot into this time. So thank you so much, Mayor. I'm glad we finally got to speak. Me too, Danny. Thank you so much. And thanks for all your support um, of Australian authors and the Aussie literature scene. It's, um, you know, it's so great that you take the time and effort to really dive deep and go behind the scenes. So thank you from all of us readers and writers. <laughs>